1: the the great lesson of this uh, for me is that people will come to their own conclusions based on what their prejudices are
0: subscribe to the queen on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening right now
1: the british embassy in washington dc looks a little bit like a modern day downton abbey it's got this impressive brick facade lots of chimneys
0: it is everything you want the British Embassy to be. It's it's the stately Georgian mansion with fancy art. And, uh, you know, you expect there to be corgis running around and, and butlers and things.
1: Slate's Josh Keating has been inside for the occasional Christmas party.
0: They're nice parties. There's some kind of, um, like, scotch display at the last one I went to. They, they had this, like, special scotch bar set up.
1: And presiding over the scotch bar was Kim Derrick, who until yesterday was the British ambassador. A career civil servant, he wasn't exactly known as a firebrand.
0: you know, I've been to a couple like briefings there. he, he does kind of he would do um, these sort of off- the record roundtables, and you know he, he never he was always very respectful and uh, complimentary of the Trump administration, never even got close to saying anything controversial. and now I know he was saving all his his hot takes for the bosses back in London.
1: Derek's hot takes could mostly be found in diplomatic cables, confidential cables, cables that leaked earlier this week. Have you read the cables or what's been reported about what's in them?
0: Well, I've read the Daily Mail uh, write-up of them, the extremely long uh, Daily Mail article It seems to go on forever. You know, first of all, this is what... A diplomat is supposed to do. They're supposed to be very polite and deferential and sociable in public. And then in their cables, they're supposed to give the unvarnished truth to their bosses back in London.
1: The details in these memos, the details stung. He called Trump inept, said the president radiates insecurity, which is why President Trump went onto Twitter and called Derek wacky and stupid. And after all that, it only took a few days for Derek to announce he'd be resigning.
0: Yeah, and he he was a Sir. He was Sir Kim Derek too.
1: Does it mean he's knighted? Yeah. Well he'll always have that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Bon voyage, Sir Kim.
1: Today on the show, Josh is gonna explain why it matters that the leaders in the United States and the UK have started calling each other names. There's a backstory to this diplomat's sudden departure. And in Britain, there's an election at stake. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Can you characterize Derek a little bit, like, who he was in Washington? It sounded like he was very connected and, you know, like a real insider.
0: Yeah, he was very connected. Very career, foreign service. He had been national security advisor in the UK at one point. He had had various, uh, you know, jobs in Brussels for the EU. Uh, very experienced diplomat. Very professional. I mean, not, not somebody with with much of an ideological agenda. I'd say a conventional ambassador in very unconventional times, both in Washington and back home in London.
1: Hmm. Yeah, he sounds like almost milk toast.
0: Yeah, milk toast is fair to say.
1: But Sir Kim Derek got to have a little more swagger in his diplomatic cables. Pundits love to analyze Trump, so did Derek.
0: I liked when he compared his ability to survive scandals to Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator movies. I thought that was a good, <laughs> that was a good line. Um, but you know, again, this is yeah, you know, as we saw in in WikiLeaks, this is the kind of thing that diplomats normally send. I mean. Often the tone of these cables, it's, you know, there's some snark, it's a little gossipy. I'd say that this is kind of par for the course and uh, certainly not the kind of thing someone would normally lose their job over unless it gets published in the Daily Mail.
1: Yeah, and unless you have someone who's pretty thin-skinned <laughs> at the helm as well, because his Trump's response was immediate and very, very extreme.
0: Right, he called Derek stupid and wacky and it he you know, took the opportunity to once again criticize Theresa May as he has consistently and talked about what a bad job she did with Brexit and now she should have taken his advice. So it was almost you know, Theresa May's Only going to be in office for another two weeks or so, and she may have thought that after Trump's last visit to London, she was finally done with this kind of thing. But uh, it it looks like Trump had an opportunity to take one last shot at her uh, on on her way out the door.
1: You know, you said your favorite part was this part where Derek compares Trump to the Terminator, basically saying he emerges from the fire of scandals, scarred but still alive, still in motion. He just keeps going, and it made me wonder why wouldn't Derek try to do the same thing? Why bow out from his position?
0: Well, what I think really tipped the balance for him was that Boris Johnson, who is considered likely now to become the next prime minister in a couple of weeks, uh, refused to say that he would uh, keep Derek in his job, refused to back him. Uh, That was a contrast to Theresa May, the current prime minister, and to Jeremy Hunt, who's both Derek's boss and the guy running against Johnson., uh, so you know, the fact that the the next prime minister or likely next prime minister wouldn't commit to keeping him and wouldn't stand up for him uh, is probably what finally tipped the balance and made it clear that um, Derek had to leave.
1: Hmm. Can we talk a little bit about how these cables came out? Because this wasn't like a WikiLeak. It wasn't a data dump in that way these came out in a really long daily mail article with excerpts from these cables first of all i didn't know cables were still how people were communicating between the uk and the united states but second of all it wasn't it, it wasn't as if we got our hands on the raw cables it was filtered through the daily mail and filtered through a very particular Journalist, can you tell us a little bit about about the woman who published these um, these cables and and what that meant to you?
0: Yeah, this looked like a very targeted leak, and it it as you said, it went to Isabel Oakshot writing for the Daily Mail. Um, she's a sort of right wing journalist. She's thought to be, or, or it is close to, uh, sort of promoters of Brexit, including Nigel Farage and and his circle. So, you know, what this really looked like was a, you know, it, it was clearly leaked from within the foreign office, perhaps, you know, by somebody looking to take out the Sort of softer, non-Brexit-supporting elements of the Foreign Office. I mean, and maybe it, it could have been a sign of some disloyalty to Jeremy Hunt, who's running against Johnson, and is a former Remainer, is considered a little softer on Brexit. So, this may have been an opportunity to both, you know, make embarrass Jeremy Hunt. And to give Boris Johnson a pretext to kind of clear the decks and and uh, appoint a kind of Brexit hardliner and somebody who uh, who Trump would like in that position
1: because the timing of this is really interesting. how How many days are left until we're electing a new prime minister?
0: Yeah, so they're currently in the midst of a leadership contest, which is being done by mail by uh, paid members of the Conservative Party. Uh, and the uh, results are supposed to be announced sometime the week of July 22nd. So we're just a couple weeks away. And, uh, and so this is very quickly going to become uh, the next prime minister's problem.
1: And what's what would the motivation be here? I mean, you mentioned the idea of sort of cleaning house, where giving cables like this to a pro-Brexit journalist would, in a way, try to motivate, you know, getting rid of anyone who might be a softer member of the team and, and clear the way for the new prime minister, assumably Boris Johnson, who's a Brexiteer, to put in place someone who's really going to be on his team But it seems like such a messy way to do that.
0: You know, another theory out there comes back to Nigel Farage, the leader of the Brexit Party and a leading campaigner for Brexit. He's also very close to Donald Trump. He actually acted as a Trump campaign surrogate in 2016, spoke at a few rallies on his behalf in the U.S. And Trump said right after his own election that he thought Farage would be a great ambassador. From the u k. to the u s, Theresa May's government sort of politely declined that, and Derek <laughs> got to keep his job. So there's that idea that, you know, Johnson could potentially appoint Farage uh, to this job as a kind of goodwill gesture to Trump. You know, Johnson probably doesn't actually like Farage that much. You know, his his whole candidacy is premised on the idea that, you know, by voting for some a populist like Johnson, they can stop conservative voters from voting for Farage, but this would be a kind of way to bring him into the tent a little bit. And and also, like, shipping him off to Washington's not a bad way to kind of get him out of your hair. Uh, if he's across the Atlantic, he can't make as much trouble for Johnson as Johnson tries to negotiate a new Brexit treaty and, and, you know, do all the things that he needs to do in what's going to be a very packed first few months of his uh, time in office.
1: This bears repeating because the story is a little confusing. What's going on in the background of this ambassadorial dust-up is an election for prime minister. Boris Johnson is running against Jeremy Hunt. And the two men are really different.
0: Jeremy Hunt is the current foreign secretary. Uh, He took over from Johnson. Johnson left that job because he disagreed with Theresa May's Brexit strategy. Jeremy Hunt is, is probably more of like an establishment political insider. He was a Remainer during the Brexit referendum. He's since, you know, said he now supports Brexit, but he's someone much more likely to delay Brexit to seek a, a sort of softer option that keeps Britain in a closer economic alignment with Europe. Johnson who's a former journalist, former mayor of London, uh, you know, is much more of a media figure, much more kind of voluble. And
1: he's scandal plagued sort of in the same way Trump is
0: absolutely and 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 close to trump and then they get compared frequently uh, and he he kind of has that terminator quality as well where the kind of scandals that doom other politicians and the kind of gaffes that other politicians get in trouble for just seem to bounce off him because people assume well that's boris being boris um, he's the front runner because again this is you know a vote among the conservative electorate or conservative party members they are very strongly pro brexit They don't really trust Jeremy Hunt, and they think that uh, Johnson is much more likely to uh, deliver what they voted for, which is a a real clean break with the EU.
1: So you've just said this is a vote among conservative party members. I feel like we need to explain how this election for prime minister even works.
0: Yeah, so it's not even really comparable to a U.S primary, because these aren't the people who voted conservative in the last election. These are about 160,000 people who pay £25 a year to be members of the conservative party. And altogether, it's about 0.002% of the national population and you know, not surprisingly, um, these people they skew much older, much whiter, uh, much more heavily male, and much richer than the public at large. Uh, they tend to be much more economically and socially conservative, uh, and they tend to have pretty hardline views on Brexit compared to the population at large. So this is a very small slice of the population that's deciding not only the next prime minister, but you know, possibly the direction the country is taking for you know the next decade or so.
1: And why are only Conservative Party members voting?
0: Well, this isn't a general election. It's because Theresa May stepped down, but the conservative party is still the governing party. Uh, They haven't called a new general election, which means that the party is selecting a new leader, and that leader, therefore, becomes the new prime minister. Uh, And so basically what happened over the last few weeks is members of parliament chose among a wide slew of candidates and narrowed them down vote by vote to the final two, and then those final two go to the party membership, who vote by mail on who the new leader is going to be. And, you know, that person, uh, that result is going to be announced sometime the week of July 22nd.
1: And at this delicate moment, President Trump can spur a British ambassador to resign because leaders in the UK are struggling with something a lot of world leaders are struggling with. They're trying to figure out how to keep Trump happy. In the same tweets he sent out calling Kim Derrick a pompous fool, Trump mentioned Brexit, calling it a disaster it seemed like this reminder that the UK needs the US, especially when it comes to trade.
0: Part of the impetus behind Brexit is that if the UK leaves the EU, it'll be able to negotiate its own trade deals with other countries. And you know the biggest one of those is the US. And And Trump has indicated he's supportive of that. He's talked about what a great trade deal uh, the UK is going to get with the US as, as soon as it can uh, complete Brexit. But, you know, that given his general attitude towards trade deals, he's probably going to insist on some pretty stringent terms. And there are some controversial things that the U.S. is going to want. You know, Trump's not going to make this easy for him. And that's part of the reason why I think that, you know, Johnson and the people around him are, and, and Theresa May as well were, were so desperate to keep Trump happy and keep him on their side. But um, it, Trump hasn't always made it easy for them.
1: Hmm. Yeah, you wrote something that really stood out to me. You wrote that, you know, the UK is dealing with the fact that, you know, they have to have this close relationship with the US. But flattery isn't a great way to get Trump to do what you want.
0: Yeah, and I, I think this is a misperception people have, and you you read this a lot that this idea that oh yeah the, the way to handle Trump is to just flatter him and compliment him, and and actually that was that was what Kim Derrick said too in his cables, but but I think it's a little mistaken, and and it, it I think it comes from the idea that people think that uh, you know Trump likes these dictators like Putin and Kim Jong-un because they're nice to him and they say nice things to him and they write him flattering letters. I mean, I'm sure he does like being flattered, um, but ultimately Trump's gonna do what he wants. I mean, there are several leaders who have tried this. I mean, Emmanuel Macron of France, like impressed Trump with with the Bastille Day parade so much that Trump wanted to have a military parade of his own. And at the time there were articles calling Macron the Trump whisperer and talking about this great bromance they had. Um, but you know the bromance didn't stop trump from pulling out of the iran nuclear deal didn't stop him from pulling out of the paris climate agreement uh, and plenty of leaders have had the same experience i mean shinjo abe of japan has gone overboard i mean he, he it seems like every every few months he's coming over here to play golf in florida with trump and it it hasn't you know stopped Trump from doing what he wants uh, on trade. I mean, Trump talks all the time about how much he likes Xi Xi Jinping and what great friends they are. We're still in the middle of a trade war. You know, I, I think that if You know Boris Johnson or Nigel Farage or whoever have this idea that if if they just give Trump what he wants and and flatter him and are nice to him and appoint an ambassador who he likes and who will be buddies with, that Trump will give them favorable terms on a trade deal or something. That's uh, they got another thing coming because that that's not how Trump thinks of trade deals.
1: I know you were really struck by this story. Like it really, you cover all of the world for Slate, but I know that this story in particular got your attention. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can articulate why. Why did this one kind of grab you by the collar?
0: I think it crystallized a lot of things about the way Trump conducts foreign policy. And there are a lot of sort of aspects of this era that found their way into this story. I mean, the uh, the Twitter component of it, most obviously, the sort of salacious tabloid uh, aspect of it, the, you know, that this, this came out of leaks, that it was kind of a... Uh, populist versus establishment showdown, um, the degree to which Trump tramples on traditional norms of statecraft and diplomacy, uh, the extent to which he feels comfortable just sort of wading into the domestic politics of other countries and giving his opinion uh, whenever he sees fit. Uh, There are just so many aspects of this kind of era of foreign policy that uh, were on display here that made it a very kind of need encapsulation of this era for me.
1: Josh Keating, thank you so much for for joining me. Thanks for having me. Josh Keating is Slate's foreign affairs writer. He just wrote a book, too. It's called Invisible Countries, Journeys to the Edge of Nationhood. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris. It's produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. Did you like this episode? Did you not like this episode? You want to talk about it? tweet at me. I'm at Mary's desk. If you want to keep the conversation going, click on over to The Gist. They are our daily show sibling here at Slate. Today, Mike Pesca is going to be talking to Will Wilkinson. He's the author of the paper, The Density Divide. They're going to chat about how populism was a surprising side effect of urbanization. Really? You're kind of curious now, right? All right. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow.